0: think of Iowa. The first image that probably comes to mind is farmland, fields, corn, soybeans, huge rolling fields, you know, field of dreams, something like that. And that is not really wrong. Around 90% of Iowa's land is exactly that. But it wasn't always this way. In fact, Iowa is now known as America's most biologically altered state, and hidden around Iowa, covering just one fraction of one percent of all of its land, is a very rare and disappearing landscape—a tall grass prairie, the original Iowa. Visiting one of these places is like stepping back in time.
1: But we see the the grass is swaying in the wind. You see the. Uh, wildflowers in their incredible uh, color diversity and you hear the birds singing around you and above you uh, and just to hear the the insects as well is just uh, incredible you can um, you know smell that lush vegetation you can feel that fertile soil underneath your feet uh, the life within a, a tall grass prairie remnant is uh, is pretty special to be a part of
0: I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura. Celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. And today, we are going to do a little bit of time travel. We're going to travel back in time to these elusive patches of land in the American Midwest called remnant prairies. These little remnant prairies can show us what the environment was like 150 years ago. But they also tell us a lot about our future. More after this. along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com.
1: You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Just be, you know, the, the goal is to sit still, listen, uh, pay attention, uh,
0: be observant of, of what's going on around you. That's Ryan Schmidt. He's a conservationist at the Iowa Natural Heritage Foundation. You could say Ryan is a prairie evangelist. Whenever a new employee or new class of interns joins the foundation, the first thing Ryan does is take them out to a patch of remnant prairie. The word remnant might make you think of scraps, and that's not far off. These are the scraps of land that have just somehow avoided ever being plowed or farmed. And when Ryan brings the new employees or interns into one of them, he just encourages everyone to have a seat.
1: Yeah, I think at first glance, it may not seem uh, full of life, but uh, when we sit and, and listen and pay attention, I, I think we, we get a sense for for really uh, how complex, uh, variable, uh, and how diverse these, these tall grass prairies are.
0: Ryan says the longer you sit, the more signs of life you will notice. Of course, that complexity starts with the anchor of this ecosystem, these giant swaying grasses that grow to around six or eight feet tall.
1: I mean, some of these grasses can grow to to well above your head. So it really is the the grasses that are the
0: key component. The roots of these grasses stretch way, way down into the soil, like, like 10 feet down. And then populated among these grasses are all of these wildflowers, blooming in yellow and purple and orange. And attending those flowers is the buzz of bees and insects going from flower to flower. And then feeding on those insects, there are birds. I think about species
1: like eastern meadowlark and and bobolink and upland sandpiper. uh, Some of these species that that spend most of their life cycle um, within these prairies.
0: And down in the shadows of the tall grass, there is the little sounds of rustling and digging of small mammals. Things like gophers, mice, little squirrels. Above, there is the sharp call of a hawk looking to snack on one of those delicious little mammals. And this is all just one piece of the prairie life cycle. That's just the stuff we can see and hear.
1: It really is that diversity of of not only the plants and wildlife, uh, but the the fungi, you know, the, the microorganisms underneath the soil. I mean, it's a complex system of species interacting in ways that, in many ways, we don't really fully understand.
0: Some of these little patches of prairie can contain more than 300 different species of plants. Compare that to a cornfield, which, of course, by design, has just one. Prairie landscapes like this once covered most of Iowa, just around 80% of it. And there were larger animals, too, like the wild bison. Native Americans in the region relied on these bison and other plants and animals to survive, and they cared for their habitats in return. But then around 160 years ago, everything changed. In the early 1800s, the first European settlers began to arrive in what is today's Iowa. They were used to the forests back east, or even Europe, where you'd clear the trees and then plant in the soil. But this tall grass prairie was a totally different ecosystem. The thick, tangled mats of roots, they seemed impossible to break through. But then, in the 1830s, John Deere, you may be familiar with the name, he invented a plow with a steel cutting edge, one that could hack right through that thick prairie sod. By the 1860s, plows like that were widely available and in serious use.
1: And the conversion happened... Rapidly, uh, so so once people um, learned how uh, fertile the soils underneath the the prairies were, um, and and learned to use it for agriculture, um, our prairies rapidly disappeared. Uh, most of it happening over a matter of decades.
0: The fields of the Midwest were incredibly productive, producing countless tons of corn and food. In some ways, it was a kind of miracle, this enormous human achievement. And Iowa's farms still feed millions of people every single year. On the other hand, the switch from this vast biodiverse landscape to a series of monocultures has come with some real trade-offs. And in a century, the tall grass prairie has been essentially wiped out.
1: Unfortunately, unfortunately, um most of our prairies in Iowa are gone. Um, we always say in Iowa that we have one tenth of 1% of our prairies remaining. Um, and so, for a state that was upwards of 80% tall grass prairie, um, that's, that's a lot of prairie that, that has disappeared.
0: I said it before, but I'll say it again. Iowa is one of the most biologically altered landscapes in the entire country. People did so much to change what was here before. What's left of the original landscape, that tall grass prairie is now squeezed into the tiny remaining scraps in between all of the farms. They're out there. They're in small patches,
1: oftentimes, isolated patches. Uh, They may be um, on a a steep hillside that uh, wasn't suitable for farming. It it may be um, too wet to farm or too rocky, Uh, may have been in an odd corner of the property that didn't allow um,
0: good access. Ironically, exactly what made Iowa farmland so fertile, so incredibly good at growing crops, is the soil left behind by the tall grass prairies. But by replacing those prairies with single species of crop, it can really change and eventually wear the soil out. Without the roots of tall grasses to help protect and anchor the soil, it can blow away or get washed away by rainfall. Today, Iowa faces some pretty serious problems with soil erosion. According to the U.S. government, Iowa's lost an average of almost seven inches of topsoil since 1860. And when there's a major rain, there's big problems with flooding, too. Compare that to how the tall grass prairie responded to a rainstorm.
1: Those roots absorb Incredible amounts of water, much more than um, a bare, uh, exposed crop field, uh, and even a crop field that has, you know, a single species crop growing in it. Um, those plants can't absorb the quantities of water that a tall grass prairie can. And so, um, yeah, the act of, of water absorption uh, is is a big part, and and that can slow the runoff. Um, Especially as we see increased rainfall in Iowa, prairies have the potential to to slow that water and buffer uh, some of the effects of flooding.
0: Now that people are becoming more aware of what prairies can provide, there's an effort both to hang on to what's left and maybe just bring a teeny tiny bit back. Today, the Iowa Natural Heritage Foundation and other conservation groups do what is called prairie reconstruction. In other words, trying to restore what was lost. They carefully collect seeds from existing remnant prairies and replant them, hoping that maybe if native grasses return, they will lure back the other animals and insects too. They also use some Native American land management techniques, like prescribed fires.
1: Pre-European settlement, we know that Um, The Native American uh, people that were living here um, understood the use of fire, the benefits of fire, and they were using fire as a tool. These plants thrive uh, with the reintroduction of fire. It increases the robustness of the plants. It produces um, more
0: seed. Some of these prairies are on public or conservation lands, But groups like Iowa Natural Heritage also work with farmers to introduce prairie strips onto private land, too. The oldest stretches of prairie reconstruction are now around 50 years old. They don't quite have the same level of diversity that the natural remnant prairies do. Reconstructed prairies typically have around 20 to 100 plant species compared to the 300 you can see in the original remnants. But still, Ryan is hopeful for the future.
1: We're doing the best we can to get um, a diversity of species out there um, and and give it some time and stewardship and allowing nature to do what nature does um, and, and do the best we can to care for it.
0: And in the meantime, Ryan thinks that one of the absolute best ways to appreciate the remnant prairies is to just go and spend some time in them.
1: I would say that a p- a feeling that comes to mind is is just peace, um, just kind of uh, connecting on a deeper level. but i I do have feelings of just peace, joy, quietness, relaxation. You know when I do take the time to to really sit and and be a part of of a prairie. Um, Those are the the feelings that um, that come over me.
0: If you would like to visit a remnant prairie for yourself, you can check out a list of remnant prairies and uh, tour opportunities at the Iowa Natural Heritage Foundation. We'll post a link in our episode description. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. This episode was produced by
1: Amanda McGowan.
0: The production team includes
1: Doug Baldinger, Chris
0: Naka, Camille Stanley,
1: Manolo Morales,
0: Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There is a link in the episode description. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tindall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you.
1: Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decoder Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.
0: At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab adventures on the edge of what we think we know.
1: Wherever you get your podcasts.